hope you all had a very, very happy Passover and Easter season this past week. Uh, today is Tuesday. We did not do a podcast yesterday, the day following Easter. Uh, just catching up with a few things following the holidays, so we'll be doing a Tuesday through Saturday schedule this week. We still will get five podcasts in, uh, but it just will be Tuesday through Saturday instead of uh, Monday through Friday. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another NPO podcast episode. If you have not already subscribed to the show, please do so by going to either the iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, and searching out the NPO podcast. In the alternative, if you wish to use the third-party podcast aggregator app, go to either of those two aforementioned app stores and download the free Podbean app, which is the hosting service that myself and many other podcasters use, podbean.com. Any way you choose to subscribe, Subscribing is the way to go. You'll always be automatically notified whenever a new episode is uploaded. You can leave reviews, comments, criticisms, although we hope you'll be supportive of the show because the more positive reviews we get, the faster the show will pop up in search results when people are searching the app stores for new conservative content via podcasts. Podcasts are becoming the way many people, especially Uh, Baby boomers and people just after the baby boom age are getting their news and information these days. Given that the mainstream media has gone completely off the rails, Fox News, the one bastion of common sense and decency with a fair and balanced reporting, is no longer fair and balanced. In fact, it was so fair and balanced in a world of uber-leftist reporting that it gave the impression that it was actually right-wing or conservative. It wasn't. It's just that the goalposts had been moved so far to the left by the likes of CNN, NBC, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, the New York Times, and what have you. But now, in the wake of all that we've been discussing in the recent months, uh, that's gone by the wayside. Fox is fading and fading fast, firing venerable hosts like Lou Dobbs. Uh, And so we don't know how long uh, they'll be preeminent. We do know that Newsmax is growing. We know that OAN News is growing. Sky News Australia is growing since they take a very, very uh, decided interest in the affairs of state in America since America's um, military strength provides great security in the South Pacific where the Chinese are pressing their advantage. So any way you slice it, podcasts have become the way to go. So please uh, help support us. In any event, Getting to de- to today's news. Uh, last week, you know, we were on a big law enforcement uh, topic week, talking about the war on cops, the war on law enforcement, the anti-law enforcement sentiment. And we were going to close it out uh, at the end of the week and then go on to other matters. However, there is this case of Officer Derek Chauvin, the one who's been charged with second-degree murder in the death of George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis, That trial is ongoing. So while we are not devoting the show to law enforcement only topics this week, we will be from time to time uh, commenting on that trial. And we're doing so today. Now, Derek Chauvin has become uh, a cause celeb. He is the face of all that is wrong with policing in the eyes of the anti-police crowd. I'm not saying he's he's that, but he has become uh, 
whether he likes it or not, the quintessential example of what these people in the Black Lives Matter movement and um, the Antifa people hate. He's, they're using him as the poster child for a white man's police brutality. And that unhappily is just not true, despite the Minneapolis Police Department, in an effort to save its skin, uh, bringing out all manner of experts, even bringing out this Lieutenant Richard Zimmerman, who testified today, the fifth day of the trial. Now, Richard Zimmerman is the longest-serving member of the Minneapolis Police Department. He's a lieutenant uh, in the Homicide Division. In fact, he's the head of the Minneapolis Police Department's Homicide Division and said he saw no reason why officers felt they were in danger if that's what they felt. Well, that may be true. He may feel that way, and that's nice that he feels that way. But I must point out that homicide investigators are just that. They're homicide investigators. They are not experts in the use of force. They are not experts in tactics. They are investigators. It'd be very interesting to me to see what the defense tactic experts uh, have to say about all of this, because he was um, questioned and brought to the witness stand by the prosecution, obviously, but he was also uh, questioned by the defense. I mean, he referred to the level of force that Chauvin used as top-tier deadly force. When the prosecution asked him why, he said, because the fact that if your knee is on a person's neck, that can kill them. Well, perhaps it can, but in this case, it didn't. The homicide, the um, autopsy report uh, issued by the medical examiner in the city of Minneapolis said that there was no trauma to Mr. Floyd's neck. So the fact that Officer Chauvin had his knee on his neck, if he did that and it resulted in no injury and therefore was not a contributory cause of Mr. Floyd's death, then you can't convict Officer Chauvin of murder. You see, it's a very interesting thing with homicide. We've covered this before, and I predicted to you, and I told you this was going to be an issue in this trial. When you're dealing with homicides, you cannot get around the issue of causation. Before a jury can even reach the question of whether or not the person is guilty by virtue of having performed these actions— before they can reach the question of whether or not the defendant has performed and committed the conduct the prosecution is alleging them to have committed, it first has to be established. They first have to come to the conclusion that the conduct that is alleged is what was the proximate cause of the person's death. In other words, before... They reach the decision of whether or not Mr. Chauvin put his knee on Mr. Floyd's uh, neck, and that's not going to be hard to prove because there's a video of it. They first have to address the question of, was the knee on uh, on Mr. Floyd's neck the cause of his death? If it is, then Officer Chauvin is guilty of homicide. If it isn't the cause of his death, then Mr. Chauvin is not guilty of homicide. I gave you a very simple, easily understood example some weeks ago, maybe a month ago when I first spoke about this. Two people use deadly force on a person. One person shoots the person, the other person stabs the person. The medical examiner determines that the stab wound was the cause of death. 
The person who shot the person, even if it's proved that he fired and hit him, cannot be charged with murder. At best, he can be charged with attempted murder because firing a gun is deadly force, but he can't be charged with murder. Now, in Mr. Chauvin's case, I don't know, if you can't prove causation, if you can't prove that the knee on the neck was the proximate cause of death, I don't know that you can even charge him with attempted murder because he's going to make the very credible argument that he had no intent to cause any injury whatsoever to Mr. Floyd. He was only trying to restrain him and keep him from moving around while he was handcuffed. And the fact that his knee on his neck caused no injury to Mr. Floyd's neck accrues to his benefit and bolsters his argument that he had no intent to do anything wrong. So this is going to be very interesting. I want to see if Mr. Chauvin is convicted or acquitted. If he's acquitted, there's going to be riots in Minneapolis, even though that acquittal will probably be with an accordance of the fact, facts and the law. If he's convicted, I want to see if he's really convicted based on the weight of the evidence or because he was sacrificed politically. And I think there's a pretty strong case that can be made that if he's convicted, it's because he's being sacrificed politically. And how do we know this? Well, we do nothing more than to look back at the inordinately generous and completely out of line settlement that was made by the city of Minneapolis with the Floyd family. $27 million. That is unheard of. And I brought you evidence on this show taken from the website of the very pro- of the very civil attorney who handled the case for the Floyd family about how civil awards are calculated and who the person is that died, what they did for a living, what their earning potential was, are all factors that are taken into consideration. People are not paid $27 million or any money simply because of a loss of a loved one and a loss of of consortium or a loss of affection or any other one of the intangible things that people lose when they lose a loved one. They're paid in no small part by the loss of material provisions this person could have provided. Meaning, you have a brain surgeon or a high-powered attorney or a big businessman who pulled down some big coin and he's cut down in his 30s or 40s and he can expect it to be earning that money well into his 50s and 60s, you can see why there would be a large settlement. But when you're talking about a lowlife, a man who held a gun to the stomach of a pregnant woman, a man who did five years for a home invasion robbery in the state of Texas, was arrested a number of times, was a drug addict and never amounted to much of anything in his life, you're kind of hard-pressed to see how $27 million gets plucked out of the air as an appropriate sum of money to compensate his family. This guy couldn't earn $27 million in 27 lifetimes. The notion that he's worth $27 million dead is an insult. It's an insult to all of jurisprudence. It's an insult to every police officer and every clear-thinking, right-minded person in this country. But yet they're paying it. If they're willing to do that, how much more are they willing to do? How much more are they willing to do? They're willing to sacrifice Officer Chauvin? I think that's a foregone conclusion. So we're going to keep following this case, <coughs> excuse me, extremely closely and see what progress we can, we can uh, come up with as this thing goes on. 
Uh, we're going to mince no words, just as I've minced none right now in terms of our coverage. It's very fashionable to convict Officer Chauvin and police officers that are finding themselves in the dock uh, and in the hot seat. But um, we're not going to do that uh, until we know a little more. So moving right along, there's another issue I wanted to cover today, which is very, very interesting. This whole transgender issue has gotten way, 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 way out of control. The notion that we're going to turn the whole world upside down, we're going to turn the whole country upside down, for people who are like one-tenth of one percent of the population is insane. That all of us should have to change the way we live for people who have nothing more than a mental disease is incredible. And the fact that we're trying to preserve fairness for one of the only two genders that really exist, women, there are only men and women, that's it, male and female, uh, that we are the ones who are being prejudiced is ludicrous. Now, we saw this with this stupid Dr. Rachel Levine, who was Dr. whatever his name was, Levine, before ugly as all get out, completely out of its mind. It's an it. It's not a, not a he or a she. Um, this whole obsession with transgender. We have uh, Christy Nome uh, trying her best to defeat it in South Dakota. We know why she didn't sign the bill. She's trying to defeat it. She recognizes that if she signed that bill into law, the law would be challenged in court and they'd probably lose and it would hurt the state. She's building a coalition. She's smarter than her critics. But the latest idiot governor to jump on the bandwagon, no surprise, happens to be one of the governors of the five big states that killed more people during, during COVID due to their ineptitude and also relying on Dr. Rachel Levine, who was in charge of the COVID pandemic uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, a woman who was all about the mass and the social distancing and nursing homes weren't a problem, although she quickly took her uh, elderly parent out of a nursing home, put him in a private facility. Uh, hypocrite laws for thee, rules for thee, uh, not for me type mentality. We have Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf said today that he would veto a bill seeking to ban transgender athletes from competing in school-sponsored girls' sports. Now, this legislation, according to the Times, like so many others that have been um, proposed, uh, takes the premise that forcing women to compete against biological males playing on women's sports teams is a violation of Title IX, the federal law that prohibits sex-based discrimination in education. Quote, Title IX was designed to stop discrimination and create equal athletic opportunities for women, the five female Republican state senators sponsoring the bill said in a statement. Quote, having separate biologically specific teams, which Title IX protects, furthers efforts to promote women's equality. Uh, I think it's pretty difficult to argue with that. I have no issue with it, and I support it. State Representative Martina White uh, happens to be one of the sponsors of the bill. She was also apparently a former collegiate athlete herself, having played field hockey. And she said that the inherent physical differences between boys and girls give male-born transgender athletes an unfair advantage over their female counterparts. Now, you don't have to be a scientist or a genius to intuitively know that this is true. Do you really think that a women's basketball team at the collegiate level or even at the pro level 
is going to do anything but be a laughing stock against a male basketball team. And this is not to discredit the women's basketball teams or their athletes. They're incredible athletes. They certainly could beat me. I'm not a basketball player, but when you're looking at professional or high-quality uh, performance amateur athletes, men and women, same ages, same brackets, there's no contest there. First of all, the male's team is going to be much taller. They're going to be much stronger. They're going to be much faster. They can shoot from further out. The women are not going to be able to defend them, and they're not going to be able to outscore them. That's just a reality. Now, you put a professional women's basketball team in against a bunch of men who are not athletes or not in the best of shape or not basketball players, yeah, my money's on the women. But even up, the best men against the best women in that team, not going to happen. And so they went on to say, science and common sense tell us that males are generally bigger, faster, and stronger than females. They have larger hearts and lungs, denser bones, stronger muscles. These are all advantages that cannot be undone. That's why we have women's sports as a separate category in the first place. But Wolf, like his ilk in Michigan with Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the other idiot, Gavin Newsom, who's about to be recalled in California, uh, Murphy in Jersey, although he's looking out to be maybe one of the better of the five idiots. And then, of course, the one that takes the cake, the man who killed more grandparents than anybody else and has a woman accusing him of sexual harassment seemingly by the hour, Il Duce, Governor Benito Cuomo here in the state of New York. Wolf, not to be outdone, says, I'll veto this discriminatory ban if it reaches my desk. To Pennsylvania's trans youth, you belong. You are valued. Participate in the school activities that make you happiest. I will be cheering you on. So this gave me a moment of pause. I wanted to think uh, just how many people will the governor be cheering on? Now, I did a little research. Now, I don't have uh, hyper-accurate statistics for the state of Pennsylvania in particular, but apparently the transgender population of the entire United States is estimated to be about one million people. This is six-tenths of one percent of the entire population of the United States. Now, we don't know if this is evenly distributed throughout the states. We, we know that North Dakota has the fewest, and Washington, D.C., with 2.7% has the most. But there's a lot of freaks down in Washington, D.C. Just look no further than the, 400, the 535 members of Congress. Um, but Pennsylvania has 12,804,100 people. So just as a, to establish a working baseline for the purposes of our discussion, let's take six-tenths of 1% and multiply the 12,804,100 people by that. And we get a number on something on the order of 76,000 people. Now that's 76,000 people in total. That's every person with a mental disorder who thinks that he's a girl when he's a guy or vice versa. That's all of them. We know that only a fraction of those are actually athletes that are competing in kids' sports. So we're probably talking about an extremely, extremely low number. And we don't know, 
if Pennsylvania's percentage is greater than the average for the country or smaller than that. So it may even be lower. But meanwhile, there's 12 million people. There's millions of high school children participating in sports in the state of Pennsylvania. And this sanctimonious son of a bitch, Governor Tom Wolf, thinks that he is going to be the champion of discrimination, of anti-discrimination, rather, by telling people that I'm not going to allow uh, men to be prevented from playing in women's sports where they'll lay waste to the field of women's sports, the very people for whom special category women's sports were created in the first place to prevent discrimination, uh, from being discriminated against. I'm going to just veto this thing and let uh, biological males compete in women's sports. What a big favor. What a betrayal to all of the young girls who are doing their best to be all they can be and are being put in a position where they can't possibly win. I think I can tell you how to beat this thing. Schools get a lot of money for sports. They get a lot of money for programs. We see this here in the city of New York. They're having basketball. There's very, very little time left in the school year. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's a New York City teacher, and he says they're going to play this because he's a high school teacher and he coaches basketball. They're going to have a, a season that's about a month long or three and a half weeks long. Why? Why even bother? And I said, I suspect if you go into it and follow the money, you'll find that the state or the city gets tremendous amounts of money, either from the state or the federal government, for having these um, intramural sports. And if they don't have them, they lose a significant amount of funding. So even though it's an abbreviated season, they'll still get money. And this is why they do it. Well, the same thing happens in other states, other cities. So to any female high school athlete, professional athlete within the sound of my voice, particularly in schools, college, high schools, middle schools. I know it may hurt for a period of time. Stop playing sports. Do not compete whatsoever. Boycott it. See to it. That in the states where you have chief executives like this idiot Governor Wolf signing these highly prejudicial pieces of legislation, or should I say vetoing these um, legislations that were designed to prevent prejudice against you, they're highly prejudicial if, the, if they're vetoed, uh, because they would allow this insanity to continue. You should simply boycott these sports. Make it so that there are no biological women competing in women's sports so that it's just a transgender sport. You really want to be fair, Governor Wolf, Governor Whitner, Governor Newsom, Governor Cuomo, all you lunatics. And by the way, it isn't just schools that are getting into the act. Sports Illustrated, the magazine that all of my uh, contemporaries when we were young growing up when we were virile and we were young men look forward to was the swimsuit issue every year. And now in an act of political correctness to appease the six-tenths of one percent and piss on the rest of us, Sports Illustrated is featuring a black, Asian, transgender swimsuit model. Just what every bona fide, virile American male is looking for a transgender swimsuit model. Who can make it up? 
No. You want to do something, Governor Wolf? You want to stop prejudice? I adamantly believe there are only two genders. You want to entertain yourself? You want to engage in this fantasy and believe there are three? So be it. Why don't you go create? Waste a little more money. You waste enough on every other social left-wing program you can think of. Create a third category for sports. For the transgenders. Let the transgenders compete against the transgenders. Let the men compete against the men. Let the women compete against the women. And there you have it. Everybody is satisfied. Everybody will be equal. You see how easy it is to solve these problems when you use a little logic and a little conservatism? Because we're thinking people. We're not insane. We're not communists. And we're not looking to please every jerk and every special interest group just to remain popular with people who should be expunged from our midst, not welcomed into it. And by that I mean the Democratic Party. Or should I say, the Communist Party of the United States. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.